Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, Dr. Michael Matlock joined us. He is professor of inductive Bible studies, Old Testament, and early Judaism, and co-director of Anglican studies and formation at Asbury Seminary. Professor Matlock has served in the School of Biblical Interpretation since 1998 and as the department chair of inductive Bible studies since 2013. He served as co-director of Anglican studies and formation since 2019. He understands his calling to be a beloved son and servant of Jesus, unconditional lover of Robin, his wife, loving encourager of his children, and to teach scripture for the sake of God's church and the world. Outside of teaching biblical studies, he teaches the Anglican History and Polity course. His books include discovering the traditions of prose prayers in early Jewish literature and a devotional commentary on Daniel 1-6. He is currently writing a two-volume commentary on the Greek text of First and Second Chronicles and the Prayer of Manasseh from the, for the Septuagint Commentary series with Brill Publishers. He and his wife, Robin have been married for more than 30 years and have three insightful and resourceful children. In today's conversation, we talk about Dr. Matlock's calling to ministry and how that unfolded, what he knows about calling now that he didn't then, marriage, and a little bit about his work here at the seminary. You won't want to miss this delightful conversation. Let's listen. Michael, it is great to get to talk to you today. I have been looking forward to our conversation. I've It's been so great to get to know you because we've talked off podcast more too. And so I've seen you around campus, but it's great to actually get to sit down and have a conversation now. I feel the same way, Heidi. I really do. I love, I, I'm, first of all, I'm appreciative that you invited me. Oh, and, of course. And, um, you know, that's always a, a special privilege to be invited to, to speak about oneself. You know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, why do people want to hear about anybody? Uh, anybody want to hear my story, you know? But um, but thank you. And I love the name Thrive that you've given the podcast. I don't know if you came up with it or it not. It was a group effort. It's really a great, great name. And it's really, it's it kind of encaptures what I'm trying to do in my life, you know, flourish yeah. and live a healthy life. So I love the name. And I think it's, it's helping people so Kudos to you guys. Well, that's what we want to do. We want to help people thrive. So (laughs) I'm glad it's working. Um, We've talked a lot off podcast now at this point, or, you know, a couple hours at any rate. Mm -hmm. Um, So you grew up in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So how did you get from North Carolina to Wilmore, Kentucky? That's a great question. And I would say that it it was a... A long, circuitous path. Aren't they all right? Aren't aren't they all right? They are. They are. And so um, in my home of origin, um, which was in a little small town of the foothills of Appalachia, and of course the Appalachian Mountains run from Georgia way up into the northeast. So that whole mountain range is pretty long. Well, I grew up on one side of the Appalachian Mountains in North Carolina, a little small town called Stony Point. Uh, in a Christian home, um, mother and father were Presbyterians, mm-hmm. and uh, long my mother came from a long family of Presbyterians, and um, we, uh, you know, it was a, it was a good childhood. I um, I had a big family. My mother, you know, nine children in her family. Uh, my father, five boys, and so there was uh, a lot of family gatherings that I that happened. Uh, as I was growing up, and um, pretty pretty large, you know, uh, Appalachian family, you might say. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, to to kind of move us, uh, <laughs> that was you know uh, my younger years, and so I went to you know school in North Carolina. My parents were married fifty three years. Oh wow! Uh, lived in the same house. For uh, 52 of those years, uh, my mother passed away about four years ago, mm. uh, f- f- five years ago now. And um, anyway, it was a very typical Appalachian family life. People stayed in the same place. You know, uh, a lot of those values of um, Appalachia. In any case, 
we uh, left the Presbyterian Church in my teenage years. Okay. Uh, there was a drift in the in that particular Presbyterian, theological drift in that particular church, and my f- mother and father decided to go to a, a little Methodist church. It was just three miles the other way, mm-hmm. and that was really where my um, formative teenage years were in a little Methodist church. Okay. And uh, we, uh, that was where I received a call to full-time Christian ministry at okay. uh, 13 years of age. Um, I should back up and say I became a Christian really at a very early age. Uh, uh, f- uh, had a salvation experience when I was probably six years old. Okay. Yeah, I did when I was five, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we felt the tug of Jesus, you know, these early ages. Yeah. You know, and living in Christian homes can certainly and should aid in that. You know, yeah. that. that's what that's what Christian families are for, uh, to help their children learn who Jesus is. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, I, in, in, at around 13, I was at a, a youth conference uh, in Urbana, Illinois. Uh, it was our denominational gathering, and I felt, uh, you know, just a sense of the Spirit saying, Michael, you know what? You know, I really uh, would like you to think about working in Christian service full-time, and that was a daunting. I mean, oh, my goodness. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to make of that. Right. It, it, yeah. It, How did you feel about that? Because I know um, sometimes kids who grew up in Christian homes don't necessarily n- – sometimes don't want anything to do with the Christian faith, but then if they do, then don't want as much to do with full-time ministry. How did you – did you have those feelings? Like, how I, did you feel about that? I did. I did. I mean, the, the examples that were in front of me were um, both positive and negative. <laughs> I, uh, well, that's life. <laughs> that's life. That's life. And, and, and for me, what, what that looked like was you need to be a pastor. Okay. And I didn't feel called into pastoral ministry. And so I was always trying to figure out what does this mean mm-hmm. to be a someone who – lives for Christ full-time and doesn't feel like they need to be a pastor, but people are telling him he needs to be a pastor. Right, yeah, what do you do with I that? felt kind of shoehorned, if yeah, you know what I mean, yes. like wrong fit here. Uh-huh. And so um, as I as I journey in my teenage years, you know, I just kind of explored what all that might mean and um, still didn't know, you know, through high school. Of course, in high school, I was just trying to figure out you know, going through puberty, going, you know, trying yeah. to understand life and trying to fit in. And I, I went through a time probably from 16 to 21 where I was really questioning my faith. Uh, I went through a rebellious period. I uh, just really didn't want the kind of traditional Christian Christianity that I was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. It just felt suffocating, mm-hmm. to be honest with yeah. you. Again, I think part of that was I was trying to figure out who I was in Christ, and then I was also uh, not seeing some of the examples that perhaps I uh, really thought were could it be as helpful to me at the time. Yeah. So, and in any case, at I went to, uh, being from an Appalachian family, and and this is typical I've found in many Appalachian regions. Uh, education was not really stressed in my life. Um, go out and go work hard. Go yes. find a good job. Build a family right here. Don't go far. And you leave uh, home, but not too far. Not too far, yeah. because you got a big family here, and we always want you there. So, um, my, for me, I what I wanted to do was become a pilot. And so, that's exciting. My father I went to high school with someone who worked for what was called Piedmont Airlines in the 1980s. He was this, what was called the station manager in New Orleans for Piedmont. It just so happened that he did the he, he did the hiring for New Orleans and Charlotte, North Carolina, which was the largest town where we where I grew up. And so I got an interview uh, with Piedmont Airlines at 18 years of age. Oh, my goodness. And I was the youngest person in the room, and I felt so intimidated (laughs) about, you know, there's probably 100 people in the room, all of us trying to get a job with the airlines. This was back in the day when working for the airlines was a glamorous kind of a job, you know. Uh, Today, I'm not so sure that it is because there's been so many changes in the airline Mm -hmm. industry. But anyway, I got the job with God's help. And I worked there for about two and a half years. Uh, Piedmont merged with U.S. Air, which today we know is merged with American Airlines. Uh-huh. But I was part of a, the early start of those mergers. And in God's providence, U.S. Air, when it bought Piedmont, um, had to downsize because they had did one of these huge mergers and they had too many employees. And me being one of the last persons hired, yes. 
I was what's called furloughed. Uh-huh. And it was so devastating to me. I'm like, oh, Lord, I wanted to be a pilot. I was working, you know, I was working just on the ground crew, getting uh-huh. ready to become a flight attendant and taking private pilot's lessons. Yes. Like, then I've got this great life lined up. And Lord, what are you doing? You know, you know, derailing my life like this. So right. I lost my job. And it was during that time, really kind of before that, that God was saying, Michael, this is not perhaps what I had in store for you. And I started doing a lot of self-reflection, a lot of thinking about how is my faith actually being lived out. And the Lord just, I, I had a time of rededication in my life in my mm-hmm. early 20s. And um, I, uh, you know, entered college and in, in, we had 21 years of age. So I didn't go straight into college. Sometimes I think that's good. Like reflecting on my life, I kind of wish there'd been a little break in between to know more what I really wanted. You are so right. Heidi, when I entered college, I was so ready to go to school. Yes. If I would have went at 18, I, don't, I would not have probably done very well because to be quite honest with you, I had kind of blown off my junior and senior <laughs> year. I mean, I played high school football. I really was into sports. And, you know, I, I didn't really have to work hard for the grades that I got, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I wasn't really trying, you know, applying myself right. well. Right. So I would not have probably done grading. <laughs> I would have probably struggled. But when I, when, I was, when I went to college at 21, I knew what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. I knew I wanted to go, you know, just get a degree in Christian ministry and philosophy or something, religion, something like that. And I was ready. And although I had to do some catch-up work in my English skills and, and other areas, I was so in, I was so ready to learn. And and at that time, my freshman year, I met uh, who? Robin. Oh, really? Yeah, I met Robin in college, our freshman year. First class I had was a biology class uh-huh. with Dr. Harvey Pons. It was a little, uh, we started at a community college in North Carolina, Statesville, North Carolina. And uh, we're sitting in biology class, about 50 people as a lecture. And Robin is sitting just a couple rows over beside me. And the professor was, you know, we would take tests and he would pass back the test. And I get my test and it was, you know, 77 or 80 because, you know, I'm still still struggling learning learning how to study. Mm-hmm. And Robin's over there, 100, you know, 99, 100. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing her grades, uh-huh, you know, I'm uh-huh. like, oh, she's got it together and knows what she's doing in this class. And she's a very attractive young lady. And um, I... Uh, I just decided I like I'm gonna ask if she will allow me to study with her <laughs> to be my study partner, you know. And uh, we met. I asked her. I think after a class one day, I was like, "Wow, you're really doing well in this class. Can I, can I see how you do what you do? You know, because mm-hmm. I really need help." And we met in the library and we started studying together. And um, it was kind of love at first sight. We, you know. On both sides or just yours? I think both sides. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I know both sides. We were both instantly attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I be in my early 20s, Robin being a 19-year-old. Uh-huh. We, we um, I can't get into all of it, but at the points we were at in our life, mm-hmm. it was just we were both uh, very attracted to each other, both uh, physically but also spiritually attracted mm-hmm. to each other. Uh, emotionally attracted to each other. She told me, she's like, I have felt a call to missionary service when I was, since I was just a, a, just a little gal. I don't know what that means. I came from a tradition um, where women can't really serve mm-hmm. fully in the church. And so I don't wow. know what I'm supposed to do with my right. life, but I know the Lord has called me to do something. And I said, oh, that's funny because I feel called uh-huh. to, uh, you know, something that I don't know what it is in Christian ministry, but right. I know the Lord's called. So, so that was attractive to us. And so we we started dating. Uh, we we uh, we loved to ride bikes. We rode bikes, and we still do today. We went through an interlude where we didn't, but we've that's always been a passion of yeah. ours and a, a joint thing. We both love physical activity. We both love being outside, um, and so we did that. We got married pretty quickly. Uh, we got married our sophomore year, mm-hmm. uh, the next year, yeah, and uh, went through college together. In South Carolina, we, we transferred to a little Christian college, a little Wesleyan mm-hmm. school in South Carolina, and both graduated 
And then you ask how we got to Kentucky. Well, here's the answer. Well, I want to, because you had said uh, that you were, I think, the first person in your family to graduate from college, which is amazing. Um, and a little bit similar to my own story in a way, so I can identify somewhat. Why did you decide to pursue a career as a professor then? Because I think that may be what led you to Kentucky. Yes, you're exactly right. When we finished college, I knew that I wasn't, I still didn't know what the Lord was calling me to to be. So the, you know, the logical step was uh, graduate school. And three of my professors were Asbury graduates. Out of okay. there was a small religion department of five, mm-hmm. a couple part time, but five mm-hmm. full time. Three of them were Asbury graduates, and so they took us to visit Asbury our okay. junior year, and we were looking at other seminaries, some of them across the country, and we looked at about five different seminaries, and probably just the personal touch of coming and seeing people here, liking Kentucky. Uh, it's very similar to North Carolina. It is very. The, w- these two states are probably some of the most similar states in the whole 50 states. Yeah. Uh, it's one, like we're like the flip side of each other. You cross yeah. the Appalachian Mountains and you're, you're back in the same yes, territory. Yes. <laughs> the only thing that North Carolina has that, that Kentucky does is a, a beach, uh, yes. like a big beach, like yes. the ocean. That's and the what only I thing. do love about North Carolina is I feel like no matter where you are in the state, you're only a two-hour drive from the beach, That's which is true. pretty awesome. That's true. That's true. But living, uh, I will say, on Central Kentucky, there's nothing quite like Central Kentucky. It's a beautiful, beautiful horse country. It's gorgeous. Uh, we don't have that. So North Carolina doesn't have that. So it's kind of a trade-off. But you're right; they're very similar. So we came up here and uh, started seminary, and it was really while we were here in seminary and doing an MDev that the Lord started to clarify. Well, what? You know, what are you going to do, Michael? And I just was attracted to biblical studies. Mm-hmm. I was doing well in biblical studies. I really love studying the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously learned how to study by then. <laughs> yes, college prepared me well for seminary. And so I, I'm always empathetic to people who come to seminary and don't have those study skills because, you know, I was fortunate enough when I came here, I was ready. I was ready to go, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. all my classes. I was ready to yeah. learn. I was. I had the right under undergrad or uh, foundation to, to learn. Yeah. So yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, so, so you were attracted to biblical studies, and then um, did you after you graduated? Did you stay here? Yeah. Or did you go somewhere else and come back? What was that journey like? Yeah, that's right. Uh, good question. Because uh, what happened was my my final year of my MDiv. Uh, Rob and I applied to the teach what was called the teaching fellowship here at the seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not have a PhD program at the time, and so upper level master students were invited to apply to teach Hebrew and Greek full time mm-hmm. as, wow. as an instructional mm-hmm. faculty. Mm-hmm. And so they hired one person each year, one usually for Greek one year and one for Hebrew, and they alternated. And the year I was up, uh, Hebrew was the, the, the language of choice wow. for, the, for the person they were hiring. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, so they hired me to teach Hebrew full-time. And so that's why we stayed here. We stayed here after the MDF for three years, and I was teaching Hebrew full-time and some Greek. They were, you know, it was a couple times for Greek. So mm-hmm. that's why we stayed for three more years. Wow. So you stayed for three years. Was there a break? Because I know you and your wife are, you know, Still, to me, because I feel like you've always been here as far as as long as I've been here. Um, but I know your wife also works here. Have you always been part of the fam- Asbury community since being a student here? Yes, yes, we have. It's funny because since we came in 1994 as students, okay, we we did the MDiv in four years. Robin put me through seminary. She worked at legal in legal jobs primarily. Um, paralegal and legal assistance, and then three years as a teaching fellow from 1998 to 2001. At that point, I had to figure out, because the job was up, you know, Mm -hmm. three years is usually the max for the Mm -hmm. teaching fellowship. And so we went, uh, we applied for uh, further graduate school for doctoral programs, and uh, the program that I was accepted at and gave me the most funding, to be quite frank, was Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in Cincinnati. Okay. So... 
that was a, a gift to us because it allowed us really just to move to northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We lived in northern Kentucky. Yeah. Cincinnati, as most people are aware, especially those from this part of the country, know it's just across the river in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were still Kentuckians. We lived still in Kentucky. <laughs> and you just crossed the, yeah, just crossed crossed the river. river. And so we physically moved up there for seven years to do the, to the program. But I was still adjuncting for the seminary. I was oh, still okay. teaching primarily online. I would do a, like a hybrid summer intensive mm-hmm. So still connected to the community, but in a more of a distant yeah. way. Yeah, no, but, that makes sense. So. so as you pursued the education, you talked about being called to ministry around the age of 13. Can you talk a little bit about how you understood calling then mm-hmm. and kind of, I'm guessing it may have changed over the I know how I understand it has changed, so I'm guessing I'm not alone. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. And, and you and I have talked about this before. I just want to kind of put a proviso. I, it's one of those terms that it's been problematic for a lot of people, the word calling. We use it a lot in at our seminary here at Asbury, and I think other seminaries may, especially evangelical seminaries, love to use this term. And I do like the term, but I do also want to just say to our listeners that it can't have a very uh, detrimental uh, focus for some people, uh, especially as we look at uh, like people who are a professor or people are a pastor, and we say, well, that's not me, you know. Mm-hmm. And let's say you are working, you know, as as a lawyer, or you're working as uh, someone who's uh, a dietitian, or you're working as someone who's uh, whatever, you know. The marketplace is huge, you know. Right? The, the, it's it's full of Christians, thank God. And those people often look at that and say, well, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be right. a professor. So I just want to say that 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 term can be very problematic for people. And so the way I want to define it, I hope will give you some understanding of way, the way I think about calling. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. So for me, we're called to be loved by Jesus and to love Jesus back. That's yes. our primary calling. Yes. And we do that through the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This community that we're called into, this triune God is a perfect, loving, holy community, and there's no imperfection in their love. And it's amazing to me that, that, that God created a world that he really didn't need. He, he didn't need a creation, but he wanted a creation. He wanted to share—God wanted to share God's love with us. Yes. And so that's, that's our primary calling. And, of course, the biblical story, in, in, in short— is simply we were cre- God created a good and beautiful world. Creation rebelled against God. God has been spending the rest of his time redeeming this good world that he yeah. made, and he's going to make it even better. And so that's my primary calling is to be loved by this wonderful God, this beautiful, redemptive, amazing God who, who provides unconditional love. Mm-hmm. That's really important. That's I think that's one of the most foundational content, con, concepts of being a Christian is that we are loved unconditionally. There's nothing we can do to earn God's right. love. Right. So that's my calling. Yeah. I love that. I, that to me, that I can get behind that. Right, it's freeing. Right? Everybody in this world can be can can yes. have that calling. Yes. Some of us already have it. We know it. Right. Some of us don't. That's the world. Right. right. I think I've gotten tripped up with calling sometimes, thinking it was a particular job. I think sometimes it may be, but in my head I twisted it and thought it always was. So I really, really struggled. Like, I don't feel like there's one job I'm supposed to do, right? I think, oh, you're, you're hitting on such an important <laughs> thing, Heidi, and that is it becomes— I'm, I, I'm going to make a bit of an overstatement here, but anything that becomes our calling before that is idolatrous. It becomes a hindrance in our life. And I see this with so many Christians. And I want to talk a little bit about this with marriage. I want to talk a little bit about this about jobs. Mm-hmm. Every time we see our calling, not as primarily to be loved by God and to love him back and love our neighbor as ourselves, to, 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 right. to live into the right. good we'll always have a miserable life and we'll always create misery for other people. So you asked me how my calling has changed since I was 13. So that, that I've, got, I've gotten a better grasp of that. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, we, we, you know, 
the world and our culture, and even our Christian culture, really puts a high call or high focus. <laughs> there you go, right. a high focus on jobs. So the second calling that I had, and this came when I was, you know, 22 years of age. My second calling is to love my wife Robin unconditionally, and mm-hmm. to create a loving marriage with her, because marriage is a lifetime commitment mm-hmm. between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman and man, who are given to each other by God to share that love. And by sharing that love, they, sancti- they, they receive the sanctifying power of God. And sancti- sanctifying is such a, a holy word. It's such a, it's such a, it can be such an off-putting word because we religious types, we use it all the time. But sanctification is nothing more or at its essence, it's nothing more than becoming like Jesus Christ. That's uh-huh. what sanctification is. It's becoming who God made us to be. That's to be, and again, that's I can get behind that. That's the beauty of the Christian life because we are called to be like Jesus. Jesus is compelling. Uh-huh. He's compelling in everything. Yeah. Everything, and especially in our marriage. So that's my second class, my marriage. Well, we had three children. <laughs> Anytime you have a child, guess what? Your calling just increased. Expanded. Expanded. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I have three amazing, insightful children. Each one of them are very, very different. Madeline is my oldest daughter, and then I have two sons, Raleigh and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And each one of them has helped me in so many ways to learn what sacrificial love is. Parenting at its core is made is, is, is God-given to help us to understand what true sacrificial love is about. Mm. Because you know what? There are times I don't feel like loving my kids. They, they're, I, you know, and I was ornery. I was ornery. As a, <laughs> I look like at my childhood, and I was a difficult son in many ways. And children, that's just part of their life. It's part of learning who they are. Yes. And so my calling is to to be a, a loving encourager to my kids. I may not like everything they do. That's not that's not ultimately on me to to, to try to live my expectations for their lives. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, expect the word yeah, you you're right. That word expectation. And uh, for other people. And for other people. <laughs> the only person that I can have expectations for is myself. I can't have expectations for my wife. Can't have expectations for my, for my kids. Every time I do, someone says it's a resentment waiting to happen. That's true. And you know, I don't want to live a resentful life. I don't. I don't think God wants us to be resentful. And I see so many. You know, and I've had this problem. You know, I've seen so many Christians living resentful lives because they want their lives to be somebody else's lives. Right. You know. Right. So I want to go a couple directions now, Um, but like the calling piece, I like how, because how I'm, I think we understand calling now in a similar way is because how I see it is I'm a child of the most high God and my calling is to love other people as Jesus loved me Mm -hmm. and to use my gifts and talents. Yeah. To, to do that. And to me, I found that so freeing because there might be a point in my life where it's like, Heidi, I really want you to do this work. Like this is this is it for you right now. But I don't feel that right now. So it's so freeing mm-hmm. to be like, and not easy to always love other people like oh. you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. But it's, it's simple. I'm like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do in life now, right? Yes. And yeah. it was freeing to me in that way. Well, having a singular focus, you know, the shakers have a, you know, tis the gift to be simple, tis the yes. gift to be free. Yes. See, simplicity creates freedom for our lives. Mm-hmm. We live in a very complex world. Don't and it, we? And it's just, it always it's, has been. The world has always been complex. Right. I think we think it's more complex now. Maybe it is, but it always, it's, whatever time you were in, it was It's always complex. been complex. You know, we have the added challenge of our own technological advances. But you know what? When the printing press came along in the, in the you know, in the, the, the 1500, 1400s, it was just as much a challenge to them as the internet is for us. Right. We it, were watching the Gilded Age last night, <laughs> and they were doing a Magic Lantern show, and they were all excited. Like, you know, it was the pre-movie kind of thing they were all excited about that and i was like wow that was new for Mm -hmm. for them like that was their technological advancement yeah yeah our our our, um our challenge as people as humanity one of our greatest challenges and this is true throughout history is not a technological problem it's a relational problem so we're always going to have new technologies always because Mm -hmm. human beings create we create because god made us creative Mm -hmm. that's what we do 
The problem is that when anytime something creative is made, a, a laptop or, you know, or some a microphone, whatever, it doesn't matter. These are all things that we create. We create because God allowed us to be creative. Mm -hmm. The thing of it is, is that all these things can be, again, I used this word before, can become idolatrous to us because at core, we're relational beings. Mm -hmm. We're meant to relate and love. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if technology is creating a barrier for us to love ourselves, uh, our, the people that are close to us, and people outside of our, 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 our circles, then technology has become a barrier to what mm -hmm. God has for us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, you're right. It's... Uh, we, we we have to keep it simple. You know, when I was a kid, we had this uh, phrase called kiss, keep it simple, mm -hmm. stupid. Okay. I don't like that phrase because nobody is stupid. But I do like it, keep it simple. Keep it simple and be smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to turn it into a more positive phrase. You know, there is power in simplicity. Mm -hmm. You know, anything we understand complex has to be understood simply before it can be understand complex. Think right. about mathematics. Think about trigonometry. Nobody understands trigonometry until they put all these little simple pieces right. into place to create the complexity. Right. We want we want to understand complexity without simplicity. And right. it, it destroys our relationships, it destroys our marriages, it destroys our parenting, it destroys our friendships, it destroys the church. And God is, is calling us back to live a simple, Christ-filled life that is built upon love, always. I see this in, in, in institutions, too, you know, where uh, the, the institution can't get around loving people um, over their uh, desires or, or their, their mission or whatever it is. Love is at the core of Love is at the core of every Christian mission, and when it's not at the core, it will destroy that institution. It will destroy that family. It will destroy mm -hmm. whatever it is we think is so important because without love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you can, have, you, can have, you can have the greatest of anything you want to have. And if you don't have love, you have nothing, right. nothing. Paul right. says it so well, and I just see that from top to bottom in our culture, both in the church and outside the church. Mm -hmm. People are not keeping it simple with love. Mm -hmm. God-given, Christ-filled, redemptive love, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. That's hard, like you said. Right. It's not easy. But we got to love ourselves through Jesus. we got, we got to become healthy. we got to learn to have sustainable, rhythmic patterns in mm -hmm. our life that help us to build love. Yeah. Love is, love is not something you learn you know, overnight. Love is something we do every day. We learn something about ourselves every day. Don't we, though? Yeah. Don't we, though? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> you talked about expectations mm -hmm. a minute ago. And so you and your wife, Robin, have been married 30? 30 plus years 30 in plus December. Years. Yep. Wow. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Thank that, you. I feel very blessed. Because I know there's a lot of – we've only been married – five years mm -hmm. this May. So I know even in that short amount of time, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of sacrifice. And there's a lot of expectations that have to be adjusted, you know? Yes. And I, yes. yeah. So could you talk a little bit about um, the expectation piece in marriage and a little bit about y'all's y'all's journey? I'd love to. Thank you. I'm, I'm very passionate about this, Heidi. Um, having been married 30 plus years now and to be again just to be quite frank seed so many marriages dissolve mm -hmm. uh, marriages you wouldn't have thought would have dissolved right um, it yes go ahead no because uh, prior to getting married that was one of my biggest hang-ups mm -hmm. to getting married because I was like I feel like these people that I've I don't have a particular one in mind, sure. but these people that I've looked up to, couples, you know, I'm like, they are married 20 years, and it looks like everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I feel like one side wakes up one morning, he's like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, mm -hmm. what if that happens to me? Like, Because sure. it felt like something you can't plan, for, you know. Yeah, yeah and I was that's like, right. What if he wakes up one morning and is like, I'm out, and we've been doing this for 20 years, because that's what it seems like on the outside. Yeah, I totally I, totally agree. I know there's like more things that go on. It's not necessarily no, but, that simple, but I was like, oh my goodness. No, you know? no, no, I agree with you. I think I think that's the 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 kind of the surprising thing about marriage is that 
we start seeing marriages when they dissolve right. and fail, and we're like, it's just very surprising. It's very shocking, especially marriages that we didn't see had any issues in it. Right. You know, and again, this kind of you and I have talked a little bit about our 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 uh, I won't call them facades, but kind of our ourselves that we show people yes. in public yes. and the self we show in private. Yes. Right. Yes. And there's they can be very different selves. And I think that's why it's shocking to us because we only see, like in marriage, if we don't, especially if we don't know people very well, we only see the public side of them. Mm-hmm. And again, they, they, here's, here's what happens, I think, so often, and Christians really fall in this trap. They, they see the outside, oh, they have a great job. Whatever great, whatever great means to us. Exactly. I mean, that's that's a problem in itself. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, but you know, whatever we've idealized as great, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're uh, they're doing. You know, their children look wonderful. You know, right. whatever. You know, they 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 dress well, or you know, these all these physical signs that we see on the outside, and we measure their marriage by that, or yes. we measure whatever by that. In the house, and the car, and yeah. You know. And you know, if you go back to the Old Testament. Heidi, you know, that famous story of David's calling. Mm-hmm. Remember, you remember David, the way he was called by God? You know, the yes. prophet showed up at, his, at Jesse's house, yes. and he looked at all these sons that, that, that Jesse had. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, uh, you know, tall, handsome, robust sons, you know. And he gets, he's like, and, and the prophet was like, I haven't found him yet. Well, I got one more son. <laughs> yeah. he, but he's the youngest, and, you know, he's the little guy, mm-hmm. you know. That's the one. And, and the, the famous line from the Bible, Heidi, you know, we know this well, is that humans look on the outside, mm-hmm. but God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. That's, real, that's, an, that's a cardinal virtue of Christianity, a cardinal tenet of Christianity. Why is that? Because out of our inward self comes our outward self. For real. For real. <laughs> For real. And so as we think about marriages, and I think about my own marriage— and I'll just, I'll just tell you some of the things that I have processed in our marriage that have helped us to stay married and to, to have a thriving marriage, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I believe that God wants every Christian marriage to be thriving. Of I course. really believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of us may maybe listen to that like, well, he's crazy. You know, what, <laughs> what is he thinking about? Well, we all have to start where we're at. Now, now, there's all kinds of marriages in, Christ, in Christian marriages. There may be a marriage where one partner is giving up on the other part. This is the, kind of the, the, the stark example. And I, I, have, I have somebody in mind I've talked to recently where one partner has done something to the other partner that's, that's, that's a betrayal of trust. Mm-hmm. So, so you, 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 mm-hmm. And so what do you do? Well, what I say to them and what I say to myself is, you can do some things by yourself to save your marriage, and they're hard. And they're, they start with what's called unconditional love. Back to that unconditional mm-hmm. love. If you want your marriage to to have a chance, whether you're in the best marriage or the one of the, the most struggling marriages, the mm-hmm. key is unconditional love, and that's hard. So you have. To, I've got some resources I could give to listeners on how do you save your marriage alone. <laughs> and it's hard. Yes. And it takes and it takes time. It's not a quick thing. It's not a quick mm-hmm. fix. So okay. So you got those marriages. Then you got marriages that you know they're doing pretty well. You know they don't really feel like they got any problems, but they know they, they could be better. You know, and mm-hmm. and so there's those you know maybe good or some somewhat good. And by the way, there's all kinds of resources uh, out there where people have measured uh, marriages, and there's all these ratings. And mm-hmm. so you know anyway. So I'm kind of going through some of those ratings, and then you know you kind of keep moving up, and then you've got what's called a thriving. Marriage, mm-hmm. okay, and that's and I think, no, I know, that's that's what God wants for each marriage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't happen overnight. And you may have a thriving marriage. Like I say, I've only I've only been married thirty years because <laughs> again, marriage is a lifetime commitment. That's a short for, amount of time compared to your parents. Like 50, exa- yeah, fifty three for my parents, and it's a short amount of time considered how long we actually our eternal existence. Right. Again, so it's just a blip, mm-hmm. you know. And if if marriage is designed 
so that we can become more Christ-like. And I believe it, Paul says so much in Ephesians chapter 5. This is the purpose, one of the primary purposes of marriage is to become more like Jesus through each other, to help uh-huh. each other become like that. Well, if you want a thriving marriage, first of all, you got to have self-awareness. Mm. Now, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no. Because quite frankly, again, I, I see that I've said that word quite frankly a lot. I guess I've thought a lot about this. Mm-hmm. I think there are too many of us Christians who are not self-aware of who we are. Really? And if we don't know who we are, then we're living our lives kind of kind of stumbling around. And other people see see who we are, and they may come to us and say, you know, you're like this. I'm, oh, no, I'm not. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, like for me, I, my father was a workaholic. I love mm-hmm. my dad. He's, he's a great man. He's still living. He's still living. 81 this oh, year. Yeah. And uh, taught me a lot. But he, was a, he, he worked 16 hours, 14 to 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a route salesman for a bread company. Blue collar as you can get. I mean, just mm-hmm. a hardworking man. But he worked all the time. Yeah, never sick. Never sick. Yeah, he never missed it. Thank you. He never (laughs) missed a day of work his entire life, even for sickness. Forty-some years. Amazing. Well, hard work is a good value. It's a a good thing to aspire to. But if we become workaholics, it will destroy our marriages. It may not not cause us to get a divorce, but it will cause our marriages to limp along. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the key ingredient for any marriage is intimacy. You can't be intimate with somebody that you don't see or value the higher. You have to be intimate with somebody, especially the higher the priority. And marriage, other than God, is the highest priority mm-hmm. for a couple. Then you have to learn intimacy. Intimacy is learned. It's not something that comes natural for us because we all have different personalities. Some of us are more of the romantic type, like myself. You know, just my personality. Uh, the way I was raised, I'm more that romantic type. Well, mm-hmm. that comes with all kinds of challenges to it. <laughs> you may be – some of us come from a more distant family. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they could never find consistency in your family, so they just learn to be I, the isolators. Mm-hmm. And they're just – you know, a good resource, and we talked a little bit about this, mm-hmm. is called the, um, the uh, attachment styles of loving. And, and Dr. Steve Stratton, one of our um, – Counseling professors did his dissertation in this, and he's and there's he's a good resource for this. Oh, is that he? Yeah, yeah. He, he is. And just learning how we attached as children to our parents can be so helpful to our self awareness because we'll bring that same attachment style into our marriage or to our you know. And many of our listeners aren't married, and the same is true for singleness, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Any of our important relationships, we bring this attachment style. Both the positive and the negative. But. Yeah, yeah, we do. Are there other ways that you, because you mentioned self awareness, are there other ways that we can build sustainable, thriving marriages? Yes, yes. Uh, learning what, you know, love is, is, is in the singular, but actually, we know there are five types of love, okay? Uh, there are five types. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, but he talked about a fifth love too, and I'll, I'll t- talk to you about those. If you want to thrive in marriage, you have to know what those five types of loves are, and you have to learn how to engage those loves. And again, this doesn't come easy for most of us. So agape love is the foundation of all these, all these loves. Agape love is the love that God gives us, this unconditional, unmerited love. God loves us. God loves us whether we love him back or not. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing thought because most of my love is dependent on certain things. Right. Yes. Expectations. Yes. <laughs> Dependency means expectations. So that's key. Learning that we are again, we have to learn ourselves that we are loved unconditionally. That's the only way we're going to be able to give unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And that's a work in progress because we may feel like giving unconditional love and, and showing unconditional love today and tomorrow. It may be a huge challenge right, to do it. Right. Right? So, but learning that over a lifetime, sustaining that, growing into it. You know, so much of life is learning how to be consistent. You know, we, we, we get these one and dones and like, oh, I learned it. No, you didn't. Yeah. Learning is a, you know, I had a professor in graduate school, Dr. Yerushalmi. He was a Turkish Jewish man. Mm-hmm. He taught, taught me Hebrew. 
And he said, repetition is the mother of all learning. And here I am in this big Hebrew class. I had taken two, two years of Hebrew in, in seminary. I had taught Hebrew for three years. I get in this class. He's having to use these red markers, these green markers, these orange markers. We're underlining verbs and nouns. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm in kindergarten again. <laughs> and Dr. Yerry Shanley would say, repetition is the mother of all learning. We heard that the whole semester. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was one of the most things I needed to hear in graduate school because it transfers to everything in life. So learning how to give unconditional love, gape love, learning how to become friends and best friends with our spouse, phileo, or, you know, phileo love, the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love, mm-hmm. sisterly love, you know, this, this mm-hmm. friendship. How do you become a yeah. friend? And the only way to become a friend to your spouse is to learn what hobbies they like. What do they like to do for fun? You know, getting to know them as a person, as my, right. wife, was, yeah. my wife would say, Michael, why do you got to make everything so serious? You know, <laughs> life is meant to be fun. Yeah. You know, not that it has to be that way every day, but we have to build fun into it. We have to build recreational hobbies, fun into our lives or they just don't happen. I see That's so true. many Christians, they're so serious they don't know how to have fun, and their spouses are they're, they're dying on the vine because they want a spouse that knows how to have fun, right? Enjoy enjoyment of life. God gives us a sense of joy, and we have to we have to live. Right? In it. I think it's a little cliche now, because but sometimes I think we had so much more fun when we were dating, and now we're like doing life, and we just like do our thing. So I, what I hear you saying is like do a little more of the dating thing. You're right. Oh, that's that is so key. You never stop dating your 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 spouse, your husband or wife. You know, you can't stop dating each other. And and when my marriage has struggled the most is when I have forgotten that I've kind of put my marriage on autopilot. Like, oh yeah, we're married. We don't we don't need to work at this kind of stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the the biggest hindrance of love is not hate but indifference. I think oh. that's really really mm-hmm. key. When you become indifferent to the one you love the most, that's a sure sign that you're going to struggle in your love relationship. You know, the things that create a divorce or create separation or create lack of intimacy are not big things. They don't start as big things. They always start as little creeping things that we don't attend to, mm-hmm. you know? So becoming a friend to our spouse is something we have to work at. We were friends when we were, hopefully, hopefully we were friends when we were dating. Yes. We were becoming friends. We have to keep working at being friends because our life changes. We, we, we're now working or working different jobs. We make, our family may be larger, whatever. There's all these transitions in life that we have to not become a barrier to becoming friends. Mm-hmm. So that's the second one. The third one is storge love. Storge is a Greek word. All these are Greek words. Storge is a word that means being comfortable with. It's like an old shoe. Uh-huh. You ever had a pair of old shoes? Yes. You're like, you don't want to get rid of them because they feel so yes. good on your foot? Yes. Well, that's storge love. You just, you just feel so good in it. Yeah. Marriage is meant to be that comfortable feeling where you can just be with each other. You know, you're just... Sitting, hopefully sitting close to each other. And by the way, closeness, touch, and eye contact are key to a good marriage. They're key to any good relationship that you want to have mm-hmm. intimacy with anybody. Mm-hmm. So I always, you know, tell myself, you know, get where you can be, you know, you know touch your spouse. You know, you know, storge is that. Uh, you put your arm around somebody, you mm-hmm. feel comforted. You know, you, you, you can let your hair down. Right. You can just be. That's storge love. Right. So you have to develop that. Again, if you're always serious, you won't, you won't, you won't have storge love. <laughs> no. Trust me. Uh, if you're always working, you won't have storge love because you don't have time for it. And I, again, I see so many Christians that just don't make time for this. The third one is eros. Eros love is not mentioned. All the, the first several are mentioned in the New Testament. This one is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's mentioned in other Greek literature. And actually, in the Old Testament, there's a great example of Eros love. It's the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And that book is one of those gorgeous books because it's all about Eros love. It's all about romantic love. And without romantic loves, our marriages will die. They will die because we have to cultivate rom- romance. Uh, and that and that means and we have to learn what our li- our spouse likes about romance because people are different. What yes. may be romantic to one spouse is different to another person. <laughs> right? So we need to learn who what our spouse likes in terms of romance. Right. I told my husband when we were dating, I was like, "Do not play me those sappy love songs. I 
do not some of them I like but some of them I'm like I would stay awake just to hear you breathing I'm like that's creepy like I did not play that for me <laughs> exactly that's that's like such, that. that is so true Heidi and I think we, we what we think is romantic may not be what our spouse thinks is romantic right. and our our role as, as as husband and wife is to learn what our what our lover what our what our 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 darling companions like about romance. And hopefully they'll do the same for us. Yeah. You know, we'll do it for each other, you know. And so then the, the last one is epithemia. And it, it's just the Greek, and that is in the New Testament. C.S. Lewis does not mention that one as one of the four loves, but he talks about it in the book. And it's the word desire. It's, mm. it's translated desire. Without desire, marriages won't thrive. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and this is primarily sexual desire, but it's mm-hmm. desire of any kind of attraction to one another. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, again, when our dating, we were attracted, I guess unless it was an arranged marriage, in the West, most of our marriages or our dating relationships have some kind of attraction. Mm-hmm. And again, what attracts one person may be so totally different for another person, but we know what attracts us, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to cultivate that. You have to, you have, you know, it is, it is a feeling. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have those feelings, you know, whatever, you know, in a marriage. Well, you have to want it. You have to cultivate that feeling. It's, it's a will. It's, you have to will it, and, and it will come. It's like you don't have to have good feelings all the time, but you have to cultivate yeah. those feelings. You have to set yourself, your relationship up for success to have those feelings because God created all those five types of love. Yeah. And none of them, if any of those are not working well, our marriages won't work well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's just really crucial. Yeah. And I just, anyway, I'm, I'm passionate about these things because in my own life, I've both had successes and failures in all these areas, mm-hmm. right? I think it's so important, too, that we acknowledge the successes and the failures because I think growing up on the outside, I looked at marriages and I thought, Oh, these people are perfect. Never argue. Never, <laughs> never like, <clears throat> never have fights. And like, mm-hmm. leave the house for a minute. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. You know. So. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, the good point. We have not to not leave permanently. You just like take a like a take drive a around the block. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because anger is part of marriage, and um, I've never seen a marriage that didn't have anger in it. Because. There are going to be things that frustrate us about each other, and there's going to be things that just irritate us about each other. But here's what I've learned, especially more recently, that if there's something negative in our marriage, it must be dealt with quickly Mm. and not fester in our lives. And because we're so self-centered and because we want to be right— I come from, you know, God bless my mother and father, and if my father's listening to this, then he'll, he'll have to forgive me. But I come from a family that always had to be right. Yes. And, it was, and that, was a, that became problematic in my marriage uh, because uh, I, didn't ever went, I never knew when to let things go. Um, and I see a lot of marriages that struggle with that. It's hard, right? It's really hard. My dad told me. Like, we went out to dinner, like, two weeks before I was getting married, and he said something to the effect of, because I got married later in life, and he was like, Heidi, you do things your way, and that's fine, but you need to know that you are not always right. And I was like, excuse me, Dad? <laughs> he was right, by the way. <laughs> Even when we don't want people to be right, they're right, are they? He's a very wise man. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 because... Because being right, I heard this said too, it's like even when your spouse is saying things that we don't agree with, it's better to comfort them as they process what they're processing than trying to be right. Men especially, this is, this is true of a lot of men. It could be true of women too, but I know it's very true of men. And that is they want to fix a problem as soon as it happens. And typically, again, I know this is somewhat stereotypical, and I know there's there's variations to this, but typically speaking, um, women enjoy expressing their feelings and don't need a quick fix when they're sharing their feelings, if they're dealing with some kind of issue. They just need to be listened to. And I struggle with that so much in my <laughs> marriage, just thinking Robin needs me to fix this. And she didn't. She just needed me to listen and let her talk about what it is that was was bo- was bothering her, and you know the fruit of the spirit of gentleness 
is learning how to let people be and not feeling like it's going to destroy the marriage. Yeah, that's something I've learned about myself and and something that helps me in my own marriage. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Thank you for sharing oh. about about your journey. Absolutely. So. Happy to happy to talk about it. Yeah, we if, we go ahead. Sir. No, if we could really quick, I want to talk about what the role of counseling has been because you mentioned that and what has the role of counseling been for you and or separately together. Sure. Sure. Well, um primarily counseling for me was gaining self-awareness. Um Again, trying to understand how my own family of origins affects me, uh, the way I love, um, and how that translates into my marriage or to my parenting or whatever. And it's been really good for me because I one thing I've learned, Heidi, in counseling is that I'm very performance-driven, and that doesn't serve me real well in my relationships. In fact, it's very counterproductive in marriage or being a teacher or being a parent. I think it's I think a lot of Christian leaders are struggling with performance-driven lives mm-hmm. and it's wreaking havoc. And I, it's something that I've counseling has helped me with. Um, you know, marriage counseling I would recommend for any couple. Uh, I don't care if you think you got the best marriage. Every marriage can benefit from marital counseling. A counselor once said to me, you know, every marriage can benefit from tune-ups because there's mm-hmm. things that you may have done well that you need to tune up on. There's things you forgot. One very prominent Christian leader, I won't mention his name, but he's very well-known pastor, and but he has uh, going through cancer, and probably people can kind of put some of that together. But he, he said recently, he says, I'll, I don't have much time to live, but I want to go back into marital counseling because there's things I didn't. My wife has been trying to help me to understand in our marriage, but I don't feel like I've been listening to her. Mm. Here this person has very little time left on this earth. Again, very well-respected pastor, teacher, and he realizes he still can benefit from marital counseling. Wow. Isn't that something? And what a, like, what a gift to be like, this is what I want to do with the person I love when I know I don't have very much time. Yeah, yeah. It's, so counseling can be, like for some people, it's like, oh, I don't need counseling because if I go to counseling, there's something wrong with me. Right. You know, it's, it can be so negative for people, you know. But Christian counseling especially is meant to help us thrive. It's meant to help us be healthy. And there are people that can see things in our lives that we just can't see for ourselves. And when you go to marital counseling, if they're a good marital counselor, they will help you to learn to communicate to each other where you both can hear each other. Because mm-hmm. that's another problem in marriage is that you may be saying one thing and, the other, and your spouse is saying another, but you're not hearing each other. Right. So you're, it's like you're talking to the wall. Right. So you can't, without good communication, you can't have good relationships. Right. It's not possible. Right. So. It is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> we know this. <laughs> so I want to be mindful of our time, too, but um, I want to talk a little bit about your, in addition to being a professor here and chair of the Department of Inductive Bible Study, um, I want to, you're also the co-director of Anglican Studies and Formation. So can you tell us a little bit about what that offering is in case people listening are interested and things like that? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm a co-director of that program with Dr. Uh, Winfield Bevins. Oh, we Winfield. and I, we, we, we get to co-direct that together, and that's a lot of fun. Um, I like sharing that role with him. Um, we complement each other in a lot of ways, but what we seek to do is to um, provide a study program of of Anglican history and polity and worship and um, you know theology for students who want to explore or already know they they're going into an Anglican tradition of Christianity. Um, and so it's, you know, as far as the study program, it's about five or six classes that kind of immerses you in Anglican studies. As far as the formation piece here on campus, uh, we offer, um, you know, the daily office, which is a fancy word for prayer times. Uh, we call it morning and evening prayer. Uh, and we also offer um, 
uh, a weekly, sometimes mo- uh, multiple week, multiple Eucharistic services. Because mm-hmm. in Anglicanism, the Eucharist is almost in every worship service, in, in most Anglican mm-hmm. churches, I will say. So we highly value the table and mm-hmm. the word, the word and the table uh, in, in yeah. ancient future worship. So that's, that's what we do here. I've been uh, co-directing for about three years with Winfield. Oh, wow. So uh, and really enjoy that work and uh, just what it allows me to do in addition to teaching the Bible. Yeah, so. that, and they kind of they definitely go hand in hand. They do. I say Anglican Christianity is basically the Bible through prayer. You know, we have what's called the Book of Common Prayer, mm-hmm. which if you've ever looked at a Book of Common Prayer, then you know that eighty to ninety percent of it is from Scripture. It's yeah. just straight from Scripture. So Anglican Anglican Christianity is a tradition that believes from its beginnings that the Bible is meant to be prayed. Mm. And so uh, I love that about Mm -hmm. that part of Christianity, that tradition. Uh, it was something that attracted me into that tradition because I'm I'm a convert, you know, from yeah. both being a Presbyterian and a Methodist. <laughs> so uh, it's it's been that I've been an Anglican probably for the last ten years. Oh wow! So okay, yeah. Wow. So I believe you're also writing. You're on sabbatical right now, writing a commentary, and then. I don't remember if you're currently working on the book on marriage or it's just kind of on the kind of in your head a little bit. So. <laughs> well, thank you for asking that one. Yeah, yeah. Part of a role as a professor is we get uh, hopefully a regular sabbatical if we've uh, proven that we can do the project that we said we will do. Well, mm-hmm. I'm working on a commentary in First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament and a little early Jewish text called the Prayer of Manasseh, and uh, it's 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 a commentary on the Greek text, not the Hebrew text. Um, and it's been an eight-long-year project. Um, I got the contract a long time ago, <laughs> and but it's been a long journey, and I'm just thankful because I'm going to be able to finish it um, during this sabbatical. Wonderful. I'm very excited. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a part of what's called the Septuagint Commentary Series with Brill Publishers, which mm-hmm. is a Dutch publisher, and uh, happy. Uh, it's been a, it's been a joy to to write. It's been hard to write because mm-hmm. it's been such a long project. But mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about that little. Well, I won't say little. It's a big book in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I've enjoyed that. And then um, yeah, Rob and I uh, are very passionate about how to how to talk about living uh, living out a healthy, sustainable mm-hmm. marriage mm-hmm. just through our own successes and failures. And so we want to either write some articles or mm-hmm. a book uh, mm-hmm. coming out of this sabbatical. So yeah, we're exploring ways to to talk about that. I just really believe there's a there's a crisis in Christian marriages, and I know my own self, my own struggles. That uh, if I can be a help to somebody by talking about my own journey and mm-hmm. Robin and her journey, then I want to do that. Yeah, because I want to. Uh, I want the Lord to save as many marriages and th- help marriages thrive. Right. I right. really do. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. Well, you have an open invitation to come back anytime. When you all write the book, the articles, would love to have you back to talk about that. Thank so. you. I'd love to. I'd yeah. Love to. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to say that I did? I have one question I ask everyone. <laughs> but before I do that, is there anything else you'd like to say that I didn't know to ask? Not really. I, I'm very... I, as my wife will tell me, I can be very long-winded, so <laughs> I, I will, I will, I will be quiet now. There's a lot that I could talk about, but um, I won't. And I've enjoyed our conversation. Me too. I really, I enjoy talking with you, Heidi. I do feel like we could just keep going. It's been so fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. All right. So the one question I ask everyone, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Well, it has to do with. Uh, having enjoyment in my life. I've talked a little bit about that during our podcast, but I, you know, for me, it's it's a new appreciation again for riding bikes with Robin, mm. and I love that I can stay healthy physically by doing that. I love that I can spend time with Robin doing that. I love being with her. I love seeing Central Kentucky, seeing the beautiful landscapes of Central Kentucky. We've seen some amazing sunsets in the last eight months just uh, riding here in Central Kentucky. I'm amazed at how beautiful God has made 
this part of the country and just mm -hmm. that's been so much fun so we bought those bikes um we had some older bikes and it's time to upgrade we bought those about a year ago yeah, and what that, kind of bikes do you have oh they're uh i have a, a, a it's not a mount it's, it's it's a hybrid bike okay um and it's so it's it's a little bit off off road but it's primarily for for um cruising and then robin has a straight more of a, a cruising bike mm -hmm. and um we we just ride. there's a lot of great trails there here are. on Harrisburg Road. We 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 ride these trails here. We we ride in Danville. We 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 ride in various places. We're not part of a like a cycling club. I know there's some of our mm -hmm. folks here in campus that do that. We're not quite that serious. We just enjoy getting out every almost every evening if if if, if the weather allows mm -hmm. and just kind of decompressing, just talking, just looking. And just just kind of being, mm -hmm. you know, and it just it creates a more relaxed mm -hmm. time in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm I don't want to be part of the rat race anymore. I think I think for too long I was just too too um, you know workaholic and mm -hmm. and just I want to I want to enjoy life the way God created life mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And that's one little practice <laughs> that I enjoy doing, especially for Robin. So. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Dr. Matlock, this conversation has been such a joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come by and share. Thank you, Heidi. I enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Matlock. I don't know about you, but I found what he had to say about calling and building sustainable, thriving marriages, especially encouraging and insightful. And it was just such a joy to get to know him as a person and as a husband of Robin and father to his children and beloved son of the God Most High. So if you see Dr. Matlock, be sure to thank him for being a part of the podcast today. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.